Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with our dinner party recommendations. My name is John Bow. I'm here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge. Ali, we're talking about two very different things today, but both of them set in 1985 by accident. (laughs) This week we've got the series Mind Over Murder, which is a new true crime documentary that if you loved things like Making a Murderer and The Staircase, you might have a new obsession. And then we've got the Gordita Chronicles, which is a new comedy coming to us from America, looking at a family that emigrate from the Dominican Republic in the 80s to Miami, told through a funny lens, but also quite a real insight into immigration to America in the 80s. And our dinner party, Rex. Awesome. Well, let's head to Beatrice, Nebraska, for Mind Over Murder. What happened to your grandma? Well, to be honest, not everybody believes the same story. For 20 years, the Beatrice Six have been called killer. People confess to this crime. That's what the whole case hinges on. A human's a lie. That's a point. HBO's latest true crime documentary series, Mind of a Murder, visits the small town of Beatrice, Nebraska, still dealing with the 1985 murder of Helen Wilson and the so-called Beatrice Six, convicted and decades later, exonerated of the crime. Ali, this is, on the surface, I guess, just another great true crime documentary series that we're getting so used to seeing these days on streaming. But it's got a couple of very interesting aspects, doesn't it? It does. So the first interesting aspect is it's told over a 40-year period. So from 1985, there are things that happen over the course of this story that a lot like Making a Murderer and even The Staircase, you get the ability looking at it in 2022 to see a really fast period of time over which this story plays out. The murder, who gets put away for it, but then ultimately the exoneration of those people. I think the second thing about this that's really interesting is basically people in the town, it's a very small town, actually tell the story of the murder through a kind of community theatre play. So you've got the impact of the town of this murder almost playing out through the people of the town, which is really interesting part. And that gets cut into the storytelling and her kind of exploration of the Beatrice Six. I think the third part that's super interesting is it's not just a murder and then who done it, but there's this extra element of the legal system, people going away that were innocent. And the fourth reason is why they went away for the murder in the first place and were sent to jail for it, which is effectively it's an exploration in memory and potentially false memory. And people said they murdered someone when actually they didn't <laughs> and that their memory was telling them that they did. So how does that actually happen? Lots of stuff's come out since the 80s about people that had hypnotherapy or quite intensive psychology and false memories. And this is probably a true crime example of that phenomenon. You're kind of not watching it with the primary motivation of it, like a who done it. It's more of a like, did they do it? Slash, why did they do it? Slash, why did they all lie about doing it if they didn't do it? <laughs> like, it's just sort of it's a different dynamic to a, I guess, a more traditional true crime series because you have these people's confessions, you see them on tape. Some of them are still convinced they did the crime. Yeah, it kind of digs into why they would have these memories, and then of course who actually did it. But yeah, it touches on some really interesting stuff. And then, as you said, this play, <laughs> this like, community theater production that's sort of happening at the same time. It's a more interesting take than just doing like dramatic reconstructions or 
talking to people that are no longer able to contribute to the documentary and things like that. But yeah, it's a really interesting sort of, I would almost call it like a subplot that's, that plays out throughout the documentary. And it feels like the filmmaker really got the town's trust because she speaks to grandchildren of the murdered lady, Helen Wilson. She speaks to, I think, four of the surviving Beatrice Six, some of the detectives that investigated at the time. Like often it's hard to get people on camera. So I don't know if she used the play as a vehicle to do that or it was just a sign that people in the town would even be open to doing that because that feels like it would be quite, um, as you said, it's quite unusual. But I think the bit I'm really interested to talk about a little bit more is this idea of repressed memory. The fact that six people have said this happened, like if it was one or two people or if it was one dominant person that had maybe hypnotized or brainwashed or you kind of think about like the Manson murders or people in a cult, but to have six people having different recalls and over time, some still believe they did it and some don't, but that there were that many people involved. That's instantly the hook in for me. I was like, how, 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 how does this happen? It's also really interesting. This was kind of just pre-DNA and all that happening. So of course, DNA has subsequently played a big role in it, but there was this very specific type of blood they kept talking about that none of the six people involved had. So like, how could it possibly have been any of them yet these six people were sent to jail? Yeah, and then there was also a sexual assault on this Helen Wilson. She was a grandmother. I think she was 65 at the time, living on her own in a small kind of bedsit apartment. There was evidence that the perpetrator had stayed in the apartment afterwards, made a pot of coffee. Her face was covered, which they often say, you know, there's like a disassociation that the murderer is trying to do to not look at her face. If you love a really interesting just general true crime series, there'll be lots about this that you'll be like, what? is this story? Like, you know, I was really kind of gripped in the first few episodes that we were being able to watch as to what happened that night, like what happened to this poor lady. But then the other elements as the episodes go in, that's where the exoneration and the false guilt starts to come through and everything, doesn't it? So the first few episodes, there's quite a bit of setup to what happened that night. Why the play is important is there are still people in the community who are convinced that these six people did it. Mm. So even with DNA evidence and all this exoneration, there are people in this, you know, small town Beatrice who are still like, no, you killed this woman in 1985. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot going on, but it's, yeah, it's fascinating. What's interesting as well is that the six people were from, a lot of them had quite speckled backgrounds or quite traumatic childhoods in their own right. So it's like what kind of repressed memory is complicating from their own, you know, maybe quite traumatic lives or childhoods is getting in the way of this like when you start to unravel it it gets quite laid and complex quite quickly i was actually just going to say a couple of weeks ago another show on binge last week tonight their big feature story of the week was all about interrogation mm-hmm. and it was really damning and you should go watch that episode if you're interested in the topic but it talked about how easy it was for people to like coerce admissions of guilt of things that none of these people did just by the way that they're interviewed and interrogated and told that their lives are going to be ruined if they don't say they've done this crime and of course these are usually very vulnerable people who think their lives are going to be over or can't get lawyers don't have money and I think you know a lot of that plays into that in this sort of small town world that this documentary takes place in and in that group of six it was almost like a race to who says what first wasn't there that sense that they were playing people off against each other as you often see interestingly there's a guy who used to be a cop in this small town who had stopped being a policeman and was doing you know some other kind of state job in the town but he's quite intrigued by it and he actually goes to the family and says, I'll be your private investigator. Let me kind of dual track my own investigation. And as a case goes quite cold, quite quickly, it was actually his investigating and poking around and breakthroughs that brought these Beatrice Six initially into the view. But so you've got the element as well of private detective, the competition between them and and the police and the way they were, they knew each other. Yeah. It's got lots of ingredients for a really compelling story. Cool. 
Well, before we give away any more of it, <laughs> we'll let you watch these six episodes as they play out. Mind Over Murder is six by one hours. It starts Tuesday, June 21st with new episodes rolling out weekly. She still believed she was involved in a murder. Thoughts can be put into her head and become true to her. I see it in my dreams. I just thought the truth would set me free and I'd get to go home. Boy, was I wrong. From executive producers Eva Longoria and Zoe Saldana, The Gordita Chronicles is a brand new family comedy following a Dominican family settling into their new lives in 1985 Miami and their pursuits of the American dream. Santo Domingo will always be home for us. But only for a few more days because we are soon going to have a gorgeous new home in Miami. If we don't go home, I'll die or run away. The song said America the Beautiful. I think they oversold it. Girls, give America a chance. What do you say? Ali, we've got some pretty iconic family comedies on Binge, including Modern Family, but this is an interesting take on it. So it's got the immigrant experience, it's got Miami, and it's got the 80s. So it's ticking a lot of boxes. It's got the element of starting a new school as well. So the two daughters in the family both go off to Miami High School. I think it's Miami Palm High or something it's called. One's kind of goes into the cool group. And then the youngest girl who the series is kind of anchored around, who has the nickname Gordita, from I think it's like a fat pancake or something so she's quite a chubby little girl and so it was almost a term of endearment but she finds her gang of friends so it's also just this lovely element of fish out of water misfits but then finding their crew and the mum as well they're all trying to find their way at work in the local community and at school which is a lovely thread through it it felt a little bit not all in the way it's shot or anything but a little bit like the original fresh Prince of Bel-Air was like you had the school element you had the family moving into a neighborhood where they were all a bit fish out of water as well so yeah that was probably a reference point for me as you said it's told through the eyes of Cortita who's this 12 year old but yeah in like a really good way it's kind of got like a classic sitcom sensibility to it which is why Fresh Prince is a really good reference especially just kind of the tone and the not necessarily a setting Bel-Air is not quite Miami but yeah (laughs) very quickly I'm getting comfortable with the family, which is what I really liked about it. I I found myself settling into the world. The mom, the dad, they're all bringing something different to the experience, which is primarily told through the two daughters. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you know, HBO don't make a ton of like family sitcoms and which is why it's great that obviously HBO Max is kind of getting into more interesting genres. But these obviously aren't direct comparisons, but have told similar stories. And I think they're sort of fair comparisons if these are shows you like like fresh off the boat one day at a time kim's convenience like it's really that world it's parents kids all sort of grappling with a new world that they're in um which is a story we've heard a bunch of times before but i feel like this is a really sort of fresh take on it yeah i think you're right and like the dad he gets called the same name as the janitor because he's got this kind of very white stereotypical boss that thinks everyone looks the same it's just really clever the way they highlight the experience and the racism through humor and through each of the family members story of adjusting so it was really clever yeah but they're not frightened to lean into some of the stereotypes as well like it starts with you know the little girl pretending that Gloria Estefan is her (laughs) aunt aunt. in order to kind of get kudos with the school dance and stuff so yeah I just think it's um it's nice it's it's funny yeah And all 10 episodes of the Gortita Chronicles are streaming from Thursday, June 23rd on Binge. We want to give the girls the life we came here for. Don't worry. My new friends at school are all perfect with their expensive clothes and expensive necklaces. I think I forgot how hard it is to make friends in a new place. I'll be back by 10. Nine. And if you get kidnapped, call Ashley's mom. She has more money than us. No kidding. They have a dishwasher that's not their children. 
John, we're up to the part in the podcast where we give dinner party recommendations, those shows or movies that we would tell our friends about if we were catching up having dinner. What have you got this week? Well, in between watching episodes of Game of Thrones, Ooh, as we've discussed, yes. I um, I have found some time to watch something for dinner party recommendations. So this is something that I have been wanting to watch for a while. It's been on my binge list, but I've never, I haven't felt like I've mentally been ready for it. But I finally watched it this week and it is excellent. It is a HBO documentary from 2021 and it is called The Last Cruise. Okay, they've got a bunch of people in white coats lined up there. They're white hazmat. They're white hazmat suits. This is your captain speaking. Please be advised that two guests tested positive for coronavirus. It was just all kind of hearsay. The length of the quarantine will be at least 14 days. It's a really short documentary, so it's really quick to watch, like 35 minutes, just one off. Um, and it is about the Diamond Princess. For those of you who haven't blocked out sort of early 2020 from your brains, the Diamond Princess was basically the first outbreak of COVID outside of China. Really early on when they were listing, you know, the countries and the breakouts, it was like China, Diamond Princess, and then the rest of countries getting listed because it was such an outbreak. And this documentary is basically, it's taken from like people's cameras that like they were filming it on the ship themselves because obviously there wasn't a documentary crew there. And it is basically like a disaster horror film because mm-hmm. it starts off with they're getting on board this ship and isn't everything great and here's the buffet. And then a few days in, there's like the first announcement of, oh, the World Health Organization said this. And then a few days later, there's like, oh, someone who was on board a few days ago had it. And then a couple of days later, they were like, oh, guys, we're going to have to quarantine in Japan. And then it's not until another 14 days after that, that some people start to get off the ship because their countries have helped fly them out. And there are some people on the ship, staff who were from Indonesia, who end up having to like plead with the media to get their own government to get them off the ship. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's this real microcosm of basically how COVID ended up playing out in the whole world where, you know, people with money and privilege could live through it and get home delivery and people who couldn't didn't. So yeah, it's fascinating. It's really compelling and reminded you of how little we all knew at the very beginning. One funny thing, well, it's not funny. None of this is funny, but something that stuck with me was one of the Americans was saying about when they started when it was announced that they were going to call it COVID-19 because they were everyone on ship was calling it coronavirus mm-hmm. and he's like oh what are we calling it now COVID-19 oh that like that won't stick or something because wasn't there a while where that ship no one was it allowing it to dock because it was kind of in international waters and it took a while for it to be accepted in to Japan. Well, Japan like let it dock, but didn't let anybody off. Japan then sent medical teams on board. America sent medical teams on board, much like what played out around the world. There wasn't enough testing. So the staff weren't getting tested. There were really high test rates amongst the people who were getting tested. So people on board were like, if 50 people have been tested and 25 have COVID, how many thousands of people on board have COVID? And it was one of those mega boats with like thousands of people. And it was yeah. Like- so there were 3,700 people on board. 700 ended up getting the virus. 14 people died. What's so fascinating is because a cruise ship is a, a little floating country. It plays out in this tiny scale. What I think a lot of us then saw happen in our own lives. It's so true, isn't it? We had no idea what was to come. Like even when they gave us that first lockdown and we're like, you know, the novelty a little bit slash fear of how long is this going to last for? And then obviously the following year when it happens again, but we just had no idea in February, 2020. Like I I remember like think back to like New Year's Eve that year and coming to the end of Christmas and, you know, we'd had 
the horrible bushfires and starting the year and we just had no idea what was coming in some ways it just feels like two years hasn't happened and then it just feels like a world pre-covid feels like such a long time ago but it was only two years ago two and a bit years ago the like final really interesting thing from the documentary is because the cruise is this perfect sort of community all stuck together in one space when i think it was the us or who or someone sent people initially to the cruise ship to do testing and experiments and stuff. It was actually because of the Diamond Princess that they were able to figure out some of how COVID is transmitted because it was such a confined, almost experiment in how it spreads. So there's kind of like an interesting silver lining in that we learned a lot because of the Diamond Princess experience. I felt like after two years, it it was long enough to watch the doco. I found it really interesting. Yeah, because remember when they first started saying, oh, there'll be vaccines, but they won't be ready for 18 months. And here we are two years later. Amazing. Okay. Still talking to each other on Zoom. <laughs> I know. You look good. Good lighting. You've got the nice Zoom filter on, clearly, John. Yeah. The last cruise, you said? Yeah. It's only an hour, is it? It's it's 35 minutes. It's really short oh, and wow. really compelling. So, yeah, definitely recommend. Okay. Amazing. I'm going to go a little bit different for mine. There's a whole lot of shows that have just been renewed or have been in the conversation of being renewed in the last few months. So I thought I might just wrap up a couple of them. And if you're the kind of person that likes to wait until you can binge something or you know you're investing in a universe that's returning, I thought this might be a nice opportunity to go. There's a couple of things that we have talked about on the podcast when they first came out, but now that the seasons are over and their renewal destiny is known, because a couple of them are some things that we've loved this year. So I thought I might just do a bit of a shout out to that, if that's okay. The first one's Julia, which is the story of Julia Childs, the chef of the first person to put a cooking show onto television, which told, it was almost a slice of her life. It was one year of her life in that first year she made um, her PBS cooking show. That series did really, really well on HBO Max and it has been renewed for season two. So I thought if it's one of those things you have been looking at the tile on binge, but haven't yet started to watch, I highly recommend it. We loved it. Really great cast, super easy to get through. And I think now there's eight episodes for you to binge and a new season coming. Sarah Lancaster plays Julia Child brilliantly. The other one um, that got a lot of noise and we were waiting for ages to get this announcement. And I don't know if it's funding or availability or what led for a bit of a gap before it was announced, but it's Our Flag Means Death, which is the pirate kind of office situational comedy, isn't it? Except their job or their office is not a pirate ship, but loosely based on the real story of an English aristocrat who basically walked away from his privileged life, walked down to the wharf and with all of his riches, bought himself a pirate ship and basically ran away from home. So <laughs> starring Reese Darby, brilliant series. It's thrilled to know that that's coming back. Had lots of questions we've had on social about that. Haven't we? So, Haven't we? Yes. And it got such a huge following and online, you know, all the kind of online demand charts and things that you look at. They definitely teased us a little longer than a normal renewal, I feel, because normally when something's that big a hit, you hear about it quickly, but they just wanted to make us all sort of work for it. So work for it, totally. Very excited that it's renewed. I know, it's so good, isn't it? And then the other one we talked about a while ago um, when it first premiered is Shining Vale, which is the Courtney Cox comedy about a woman who leaves the big smoke and kind of takes her family to a country town and moves into a kind of very typical looking horror movie mansion and of course there's a ghost who helps unlock her writer's block so that one's coming back as well so a couple of cool shows that are now fully completed for season one so you can binge the whole things and know that some new episodes on their way soon have you watched all those john i have yeah three very good recommendations 
and they sort of they sort of flew under the radar a little bit at launch, but it definitely sort of grew over the season as people got into them. So if you've not watched them, now's a great chance. Yeah, and I think sometimes when we talk about things when they first come out, we love them or we watch them, but maybe you need to come back to them at the end of the season sometimes and just remind people where they end up going across the journey in the story as well. But all three of those were, um, yeah, some of the earlier shows to come out this year and happy they're all coming back. So that's Our Flag Means Death, Shining Vale and Julia. I'd come to your restaurant. You might not get them. It's going to be very popular. You'd save me a seat, wouldn't you? Maybe. What night do you want to come? Saturday night. It's a busy night. I'll come on the Monday. Well, I can probably get you. What's called Blackbeard's Bar and Grill and other delicacies and really? delights and fishing equipment. Thanks so much for listening. This week on Skip Intro, we discussed Mind Over Murder and the Gordita Chronicles. Um, I suggested, um, if you're in the mood, to check out The Last Cruise and Ali gave us a trifecta of um, recently renewed um, series with Julia, Our Flag Means Death and Shining Dale. Um, All of these are streaming on Binge or will be streaming very soon, depending on when you're listening. Um, You can, of course, find Binge on your favourite device. I am John Boehm, joined every week by Ali Herbert Burns. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates. And we'll be back next week with more Skip Intro.